If you weren't here last week, it was our first week of a relationship um, conversation and teaching series we have. Sister Amanda did a fantastic job. If you haven't, if you didn't get to hear what she had to say, you owe it to yourself and your family to listen to that. What a beautiful word. And I believe there's something special about it when it comes from your own life. When you're living it, when you're talking about it, when you're thinking about it, when it's you, it's a lot easier to talk about, it, easier to say. So tonight I am blessed and honored to, to be the one to talk about inside the marketplace. How many of you don't have a book or don't have a paper? You need one or the other. Do we have any papers in the house at all? There are no papers? Okay. You know what? You're just not going to have one. Or maybe find a friend and find somebody that well, you can look over their shoulder. Um, we'll have uh, some of the words up here on the screen. But if you need a book, you can go to the bookstore and back, and they have those available for you. All right. So our first verse, our key verse, one you should know by now, hopefully, is in John 15, verse 13. There it is. If you don't know it, you can read it. Are you ready? You're going to say it with me? Are you ready with Are you ready? Okay, i gotta, I got to know that first. Here we go, ready? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Here's the way I memorize verses. For me, it has to make sense. I have to think through it. I have to repeat it. So it's real, real tiny bite-sized pieces. Greater love, that means that's... That's the top. That's the highest bar. You can get, can't get any higher than this one. Greater love hath no man than this. I know you all just went through Valentine's. You're out there buying cards and chocolates and candies and taking your sweetheart to some restaurant. Some, someone may have written a poem. I mean, that's, that's very high. But there's no love on the planet, no love in this room as high as this one. Greater love hath no man than this. That means it's the top. That a man... Lay down, so that's a voluntary action, right? That's not forced or taken. Lay down his life for his friends. First thing you might think is, well, look, I only have a couple friends. And I'm not sure I like them that much. Okay, that's it's important to think about. Uh, friends in this setting means associate, companion, neighbor. Lots of people try to pin Jesus down. When he talked about, well, who is my neighbor? They could have done the same with, well, who is my friend? Anybody you're with can be a friend. Now, the literal meaning of the verse is to lay down your life. Thank God he's not asking us to do that because we could only lay it down once and it would be over with. But there's a way for us to apply that to our behavior, our living, our working, our marketplace is what this conversation is about. And that's in giving up our desires, our, our putting others first, in a sense, laying down what we want, our demands, our, all the things we like things to go, surrendering to some level in order to work with people, walk with people, be friends with people, allow the gospel to flow through you to people. That takes, there's a level of that it has to be. Otherwise, you'll be that person they know, everyone knows is a Christian, but you can't talk to them. They're very demanding, they're very hard to be around, they're hard to work with, okay? So that's what greater love should mean to you and me. All right, so we have an imagine section. 
I love the imagined sections. I'm not going to read that one today. If you don't have it, you got to get it. It's fun. But there is a, there's a part that grabbed my attention very quickly. And the idea was that people from the small little village of Bethany came because Lazarus had died. They wanted to be there. But also people came from the big city of Jerusalem. A lot of people came. And the writer of this, it was Sister Melanie that put all this together, and she just done a great job either compiling or writing. The writer says that they came to show their respect, and it was obvious that he was well-liked and respected. What a powerful thing. On your last day on this earth, if you don't make it in the rapture before you die, on your last day, you want people to say, I like, they were well-liked and respected. What a beautiful thing to be said. Why is it the Christians sometimes aren't really well-liked or respected? Just because the way they behave with other people in the marketplace. This is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing for us to strive for and say, I want that. At the le- that's at least a foundation that we can, the gospel can flow through. If that's not there, then why would they want to know about my God if I'm not well-liked or respected? If I'm slimy, if I'm one of those people, oh, and we'll be around them. Horrible work ethic and horrible behavior in, in work. Okay. Are you getting this? Is it good? Hopefully it's going to get good. There's a verse here, and we're going to get to it later. It says, and that you, this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you, that ye may, or here's the result of it, or here's the reason why you should, walk honestly. What a great feeling that is to walk honestly. There's no fear, no worry about being discovered, no worry about, hope they don't find out. Walk honestly toward them that are on the outside or without, those that are not here, and that ye may have a lack of nothing. I think that's, that right there is something that everyone in the building would like to sign up for. I'd like to have lack of nothing. That doesn't mean that you, have, that you don't have lack of anything. You have lack of nothing. All the things you have need of, you have. Wow. All right, so we're going to talk about the marketplace. Um, H. Jackson Brown says, find a job you like and add five days to every week. Something about that, being engaged in what you can do. So how do you view the marketplace? There are four sections here. And the first one is a survivor. Survivor. The survivor believes the marketplace is evil. Business is evil. Where they work is evil. I've asked, I'm thinking six or maybe five people in this community about a place they worked. They were either getting ready to go to work or they just come back from work. And I said, where do you work? I work at Great Dane in Brazil. I said, tell me about that. What's it like working at Great Dane? Um, they didn't say it's like heaven. Let me just give that clue. They said something the opposite of that. That's what it's like working there. Now, I don't know if that, hopefully no one here is a, a, you know, a manager at Great Dane. But that, that's a bad, it's crazy how these words start to fly around. After a while, you start to kind of get a feel about things, you know? It's amazing to hear people's um, frustrations to me as, an, as a real estate appraiser. And I talk to Jeff about this all the time. We're there to do a job to praise a home, not there to sell them on something, 
not there to try to encourage you to do something. And because of that lack of pressure, they open up about all kinds of things that I'm not asking for. Well, we had a contractor out here. <laughs> See the job he did. Man, I'll never have that guy back again. And those, those words start to flow. Boy, I love the kitchen. It's beautiful. Oh, you should, that guy, he was so, he's such an awesome person. He was here on time. He was kind. He, boy, he worked hard, too. I, I'm so glad. I would tell anybody about him. What, what are those? Those are total testimonies in the community. They just pop up. They pop up. And here's the word I learned a long time ago. And it, it is a, it's a phrase that's got into my spirit. Time will either expose you or promote you. It's not mine. I'm not sure the guy who said it was his. It doesn't matter. Time will either expose you or promote you. Enough time being honest, not taking shortcuts, doing what the Lord wants you to do, working as though you're working for him and not for them, working as though he's your supervisor, boss, employee, customer, client, and not them. Consistently like that, time will promote you consistently stealing a little bit here and there, consistently taking this or that, it doesn't really matter, consistently cutting the corners off of this, cutting the corners off of that, consistently like just, well, it, it's not a big deal, it's a gray area, that time will expose you. Yeah, oh yeah, constantly. It's a, it's a funniest theme. Businesses consistently say, well, you know, people just aren't interested in this area. They don't want, I guess they don't want food. I guess they don't want a roof. I guess they don't want put kitchen cabinets up. People in this area, yeah. They just don't want clothes. That's, called, that's crazy. We know that's not true. But because of their behavior, continually doing things that make customers unhappy, they end up closing their doors. They're not sure why. Isn't that crazy? This, you know what? I'm talking about the Bible. This is the good book. God's Word gives us wonderful understanding. Now, I confess. I hate to confess things because I've always told my children that I know everything. They knew that wasn't true, but... Uh, I, there's a lot that I've had to learn. So um, I've had several things wrong about work in my life. I'm not the same man I was years ago um, in the workplace. I've, I've learned some things. I've changed. I didn't realize back then that you can be anointed in your work. You can be directed and placed by God in your work. That work was not a bad four-letter word. But it's a, it can be a blessing. It's, God, it's God's direction. I didn't know that. My worldview back then was only the preacher or evangelist or being paid on the church staff. Only that was honorable work. That is not in the Bible. Gee, if you say that the, that the ministry is the neck of Jesus Christ, that he's the head, the leads, and the neck is the connection to the body, then I want to ask you, what part of Jesus is not anointed? Is his feet anointed? Oh, yeah. Is the elbows anointed? Sure. Little pinky finger over here anointed? Yes, he's all anointed. So we can have the anointing of God and never get behind this desk. I'm not saying this anointing is not important or it's not real, but you can't have the anointing of God in work. That's a beautiful thing. Directed and anointing of God to do something for someone else. Um, I also wish I could go back and tell myself, you can't tell what people really want by their face or the way they act. I came to the conclusion, those first few factory jobs I worked at, that people just didn't want to know anything about the Lord. 
They didn't love God. They were mad or they liked their own worldly ways. You can't trust their faces. Sometimes the people that I thought were the worst and meanest and just, ugh, they had their own thing about them, were the ones that would ask me questions about the Lord. And you can't tell from the exterior what they're, what they're thinking. Um, some people seem to attack Christianity, but actually they're hungry for what you have. The very first questions I got were, this woman just came near me and slammed something down on the desk and said, well, tell me this. If God is real, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Where is God when people need him? I thought she was attacking me, but I've learned that was her way of saying, if you answer this, I'll believe what you believe. Now, how did she figure out that I was a believer? I know that word spread around too. Somehow it got there in a large group, a very large factory. Somehow they find out who you are, and they come at you and say, oh yeah, if this is true, then why are these things happening? Why are there hungry children in Africa? Why are this happening? And really what they're honestly seeing is, I, I want to believe, but I'm stopped by this. Oh, I didn't know that. So, under the survivor, um, people believe the marketplace is evil. Their goal is to survive the marketplace unharmed. Just get home. Get the church. Their strategy is to avoid contact with non-believers. Escape possible corruption. Other people ignore them in the marketplace. And their impact is non-existent. Now, the number one book I can show you tonight that will help you with the marketplace is this one. I know it's a small Bible. If you can't see it, that's what it is. That, there's, no, there's no book better than that. That's God's Word. But in addition to that, I have been blessed by reading multiple times this book by Rabbi Daniel Lapin, L-A-P-I-N. The book is called Thou Shalt Prosper. It's a Jewish rabbi teaching all of us what the Jewish people believe about the Bible, obviously the Old Testament, and relates to work and money and business all those things. He has amazing things. I, I never really knew this idea. He said, you cannot make money, honest money anyway, without benefiting other people. He said, the Bible shows us that work is good, not evil. Work was there in the garden before the curse. Now, we know that there's some pain came with work after the curse and difficulty and labor. The Bible says in Revelation is that our labor will cease. But it also says in Revelation 22 and 3, and that his servants will serve him. Giving us indication in Micah and Isaiah places that when we get to heaven, there'll be work for us to do. Some of you are disappointed. You thought you are going to be up on a cloud and got the harp and just laying around for worshiping the Lord. The Bible gives us indication that there is work for us to do. I told this story years ago, and I've I got to be careful about my time, but it talks about a man who died, and uh, he was there in the afterlife and loving things. Everything was lovely and nice. It was wonderful. And uh, after a short time, he said, okay, now what, what do we do up here? What's to do? And they said, well, there's, there's nothing to do. He said, okay, but what, what is my, like, you know, what is my purpose? What am I about? What am I, what's my thing? You know, what am I here to do? I'm excited to do it. And they said, well, that's the thing. There's, there's no purpose. There's nothing for you to do. 
So he thought about that for several days and thought, I, I, I don't understand. I thought heaven would be like something you want to be a part of. I don't understand. And the guy said, well, who told you that you're in heaven? Yeah, you take away purpose from a man or woman, that's not heaven. You pull away from them a, a reason for being anywhere, that's not heaven. God has a purpose for your life in heaven. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what work you'll be doing, but it won't be labor. It'll be a wonderful work. All right. So that book is fantastic, and it'll bless your life. Now, one of the things I, I realize that the survivor doesn't understand is that the, the unbeliever's life is not changed by argument. I wish I could say that in a way that people could really grab it, because Christians are known for arguing in the workplace. People are not one, are dis discipled, or, or even swayed by arguments or interruptions. There are 37 miracles you can find in the Gospels that Jesus performed. 27 of those are detailed miracles or healings. The others are like a general healing. In 21 of those healings or miracles, the delivered or healed person had to ask Jesus for help. Most of the rest, the healing happened on behalf of someone who could not ask for themselves. Search the scriptures and find out yourself how many times Paul just preached to a crowd in the marketplace and just yelled at them, you must be saved and told them Acts 2.38. Find the times Jesus walked around and chased people down. Why, Jesus, are you letting the rich young ruler walk away? Jesus always let people walk away. This book right here is called, and I love it, by Michael Simpson, Permission Evangelism. It's an amazing concept, what the church should be. The church should get a hold of this. Now, the sleeper, the sleeper person, and I want to tell you one more time, Permission Evangelism Michael Simpson, S-I-M-P-S-O-N. Wonderful book. The idea about this is that instead of interrupting, arguing, forcing, chasing, we are salt and light on the earth. And because of our behavior, our testimony, people want to ask. And as they ask, we can answer. That's how Jesus responded. Jesus told very confusing parables that made all the people who were just there for the show kind of dissipate. And those who wanted to know dug in deeper. He acted differently than any preacher I've ever met in my lifetime. Jesus was really, he said things that made the crowd go away, not come closer. So we are called in Colossians 4 and 6 to be salt. Let your speech be always grace, season with salt that ye may know how to answer every man. That's salty speech. You need that. I need salty speech. You know, I just skipped one. I apologize, guys. I forget about 1 Peter 3.15. That's the perfect verse. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about something different than arguing or beating down someone's door or interrupting. It says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. 
That doesn't mean we should be quiet about our testimony, or about God's grace, or about God's goodness. That's a lot different than being a hunter out there chasing and trying to shoot someone for Christ. Well, I got him. I got that guy. Oh, they, they'll never forget that. I told them. That, that's, that's not a picture you find in the Bible, right? What does it say about being light in the world? That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, you, you are the light of the world. That's me and you. A city that's set in the hill cannot be hid. To the sleeper, they believe they can't change the marketplace. But it won't change them either. Having an impact comes down to luck. Their goal is to stand their ground and play it to a draw. Their strategy is be nice to people, not share the faithless asked about it. Others think they are nice people, and their impact is marginal. The problem there is that they are not being salt and light. Salt and light changes the situation, all right? We're going to go to the influencer. They believe God cares about business, and the Holy Spirit will help them succeed. Their goal is to create value and impact at work. Succeed in business and ministry and lead people to Jesus through leadership. Strategy is led by the Holy Spirit. They speak openly about their faith, invite people to church, pray for guidance and favor. Others are skeptical of influencers but like them, and their impact is effective. All right, so there is a work secret in the Bible. Do you want to find work secrets in the Bible? If you, if you get this right here, it'll bless your life, I promise. If you're an employee, if you work at home, if you have customers, if you have a business, if you're driving a truck, if you're on a factory floor, if you're serving sandwiches, it doesn't matter what it is. I promise you, this is so important, you should pay me for it, but you're not. That's okay, though. You should know how important it is. I'm telling you, this is a life changer. When I got this one, it changed the way I viewed business entirely. You ready for it? Okay. First Kings 12, 6 through 15, we're going to go to the work secrets. Here's the work secrets in the Bible. Now, you need to capture the entire thing. King Rehoboam is taken over after his dad died. Solomon is dead. Okay? The people are upset about their high taxation. Boy, I can identify people in the Bible. High taxation, all the rules, all the stuff they had to live under. They came to him with their problem. So, his first thing was a wise thing. He consults with the old men, the elders said, uh, how do you advise that I should you know, answer the people? Now, here's the verse. This verse should be emblazoned on every Christian business. It should be on a card you can look at. You should memorize it. And they speak to him saying, here we go. Here's your answer. Ready for it? If you will be a servant to this people, serve them. Be a servant to them and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they'll be your servants forever. That is the answer. That is a gorgeous secret. What did he do, though? What's verse 8 say? Huh. He didn't like that advice. Let's look at verse 8. Flow through. Thank you. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they given him, and consulted with the young men. Hold it. Wait a minute. Young men, these guys likely had never worked. Most likely, they had never run a business or a big operation. He was in the place of literally the lap of luxury. Solomon had unheard of luxuries and, and just so much stuff. These young men likely never had a job in their life. He wanted to talk to them, which had grown up with him, which stood before him. 
So what's their answer? Uh, their answer is drastically different. Go to verse 9 of 1 Kings. And he said, what counsel would you give me that I can answer this people who spoke to me saying, make the yoke lighter, my father put on us. Let's go to verse 10. The young men that grew up with him, they said, listen, this is what you're going to say. Your father, my, your father made the yoke heavy, make it lighter into us. This is what you're going to say. My little finger be thicker than my father's waist. <laughs> go on the next verse. Oh, yeah. Now, my father laid you the heavy yoke, a lot of taxes, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. Fine. I'm going to add to that. My father whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. Boy, what a wise thing to say. And in verse 12, it says, so they came there to the people. And then go to verse 13. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And what's verse 14 say? And he told them all the same thing about the scorpions, about the whips, the heavier yoke. Go to verse 15, the last one. And the king did not listen to the people. Now the cause is the Lord that he might perform his same. Here's how it works in your life and my life. Make your demands. Threaten them. Tell them what you want, what you're going to do. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come here and get my eight hours and go home. I'm about sick of this place. Okay, that's, tell them. Look, this is what we have for our customers. If you don't like it, find someplace else. Look, this is what we serve here. I don't know what your problem is. Look at the menu. If you don't like it, find someplace else. Tell them. Threaten them. Tell them what you want. Give them your demands. Tell your employer, oh, really? You offered two weeks off of vacation? Well, my last place gave me three weeks. I want three weeks. Try it out. Let's see how it works. I want you to come back and get some of your results. Most of you aren't there, but most of us aren't in the first place either. What about being a servant to them? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I, I know what you want. Let me see if I can find an answer to put this together. What a, what a beautiful thing. Speak to them good words and not bad words. Realize this is how, this is a blessing for your life. Business will explode if you go from one to the other. Your employer, your work, your company, they'll say, what happened to you? What is going on with you? All before you're about you, about what package you need in, in, your, in your life, what things you need, how other people are treating you, and what, what, what all the pay you want. Don't start with you. Start with them. And you know what happened to them? This is a secret. People will give you notes of appreciation. You ever had those? They've got Benjamin Franklin's face on them. I love those kind of notes of appreciation. That's what those are. Hey, we appreciate you. Here's a note with Benjamin Franklin's face on it. And I say, I say thank you. I loved it. I love those notes of appreciation. Wow. Okay. Now the leader, the leader believes that by engaging the Holy Ghost at work, people, businesses, markets, and cities will be transformed. His goal is to change, or her goal is to change the spiritual landscape of the whole organization in favor of the kingdom of heaven. Strategies led by the Holy Ghost, actions speak louder than words. Timing is everything, and leaders pray, diligently pray for value and impact. Others trust leaders, and listen carefully to what they say. Their impact is transformational. All right, now we have attitude here. Attitude, page number 34. 
That's that verse we already read to you, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 and 12. And we'll find that a little later on in our, our, our papers, but it talks about being quiet. That word does not mean closing your mouth, shush. It means be rested or restful. It means the opposite of being frantic, running back and forth. Study is like ambitious. I'm going to try. I'm going to aim to. Be quiet. Be restful. Be at peace. To do your own business, to work with your own hands. I work with my own hands, but mostly that is on a keyboard, on a mouse, and sometimes on a phone. But it still works. It's with my hands. And as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. All right. What page are you on right now? What do you have in front of you at this very moment? Is it the teaching tip theme? What's that? Tell me again. Someone speak up loudly. That right there? Okay, thank you. God, love me. Sure need the Lord's help today. I thought I had had that ready. Okay, so that says attitude. We've got that. Beautiful. All right. Study, be quiet. Mind your own business. Do your job. Maintain honesty. That's the next one. Honesty. Honesty. Um. The, the, one of the key points out of Rabbi Lappin's book is that you will be, you'll forever struggle in business if you're not convinced that what you're doing is not helping other people. If you're convinced that what you have is what they need and you can serve people with it, you will prosper in business. You'll flourish. Matter of fact, some of the biggest companies you know right now some of the largest, Netflix is one of them, and there's several others, I can't think of the four or five right now on the top of my head. <clears throat> they started by losing money. <clears throat> that was their business plan. <clears throat> We're going to lose money for five years. That's a very difficult business plan. I mean, who wants to start a business right now? <laughs> Hallelujah, I'm going to lose money for five years. Their idea was, we are going to give away our stuff at below cost. So we'll lose money until people like what we're doing over and over again. Now, of course, their whole business has changed lately and become more woke. And, of course, they, serve, they have all kinds of bad stuff with it. But their idea was we will get people used to us and like us enough that over time, it takes about five years, we'll build this company up to where it now becomes making revenue. That's, that idea is, is something that people don't have in the church overall. It's an idea of serving people, helping them out. Making a difference in what they need. Finding out what they need and filling that need. Wow, okay. Now, aptitude, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you're going. That's really, thanks a lot, Solomon. Very harsh, right to the point. Um, so, be knowledgeable of your job. That's something that it should be without saying, but it makes sense. You want to learn about what you're doing. Be conscientious of the quality of your work. Here's a very strange thing. Um, Most people do not know why they go to work. Mm -hmm. Now, number one, most important is salt and light. That God directs and leads our lives. But there's a two-pronged thing here. You don't go to work for money. 
Someone right now is thinking, um, Brother Scott, I'm not sure you know this, but I get paid every week for the job I do. Yeah, I can hear Yeah, I hear it. I hear someone saying, uh, yeah, you take away the money and you probably take away me. I, I, I understand. It's easily misunderstood. Imagine you own a company. Imagine you own the company. You're not looking around to see who you can give money to by hiring them. No, you'll quickly lose the company like that. You just hire people to give them a job. You hire people to make the company successful. If your efforts, what you're doing right now at your company, makes the company lose money, you'll still get paid for a while until they go out of business. Eventually, there'll be no more work for you to do. The reason you're there is to accomplish a task, to do something to serve people to make it better. If you do make things better, put your focus on the serving the needs of your clients, manager, etc., they'll eventually serve your needs. And if they don't, then you'll find another place to go and serve your needs, serve them. A business has to make roughly three times, that's at the low end, depends on the business, what they pay you in order to justify having you there. Materials, workman's comp, training, accountants, taxes, they're going to make about three times what they pay you to justify you being there. Why would they have you there except to serve a need? You don't go to work to make money. You go to work to make, to make a difference in that situation to serve a need. If you do, you'll be rewarded. I know there's notes of appreciation. Hopefully they have Benjamin Franklin's face on it and not George Washington's. Okay. Someone, if somebody didn't get that, others did. That's okay. Don't worry. So now altitude. Altitude and ap- attitude and aptitude determine how high you fly. Altitude. First Kings 4, 28-30 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that's on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. Excel personally. Personally. Yeah. To excel personally, I think always about the spirit of Daniel, an excellent spirit. Wow, what a wonderful thing to be said about you and I. They have an excellent spirit. You know what's amazing about God, and that's really different from us? When God says something's going to happen, it's already happened. If God says that snow will cover the earth, snow covers the earth as he speaks it. If he says something future and you haven't seen it yet, it's going to happen just the same way. I will have a bride. I will come back for a church. That, whether you want it to or not, whether you believe it or not, it's, it's, it's already in time. God's already making it happen. When God speaks, it is the highest level. When we speak, we can be pretty low. When will you be there? I'll be there at 10. Will you really? What kind of word do you have? Is it a word of gold? golden word? Is it, is it brass? Well, he may be at 10, maybe 1030. You never know. This guy. I'm going to do that work. I'm going to get that work done. Will you, will you do it? Boy, I tell you, now I, feel, now I feel bad right now. God has convicted me. I've been telling my wife I'm going to hang this picture in our house and I haven't hung it yet. Okay, Lord, I promise I told her I would that I'm going to do it. Amen. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Jesus. I'm speaking in how I feel like convicted as I'm talking. But I promise you, as a business person, or a person working in the marketplace, some of you, your words are not very good right now. They're not worth much. They're not worth much because you've had a bad past. You can change that today. Make promises to yourself first, private. 
happens before public happens. Private victories before public victories. Make a promise to yourself and keep it. I'm going to get up at 6. I'm going to read, open my Bible and read it. I don't have to get up to, get up to 6.30. I'm going to get up half an hour earlier. Make a promise to yourself. If you make that promise to yourself, begin to, begin to feel a level of confidence. I at least can trust myself that I've done that. Begin to make a promise at your work and keep it. I promise I'm going to stay until this job is done, whatever the job is. After a while, that promise becomes to be stronger. Your word moves up a level into, I don't know if you ever get to God's word, but you can get to a golden level where you say, I will do this, and people around you say, it's already done. Because when he says that, it's done. When she says that, when she says she'll be there, she will be there. If she's not here, something's really wrong. There are people in this building right now, if you said you'll be there and you weren't there, nobody would even worry about it because, well, she comes, he comes, sometimes he's there. I don't know. Never know. No one knows where he's at. Others of you, if you said, I will be there, and you're not there, they said, get the ambulance. Something's wrong. They're on the highway. They've had a heart attack. Something's bad. That's, that's a powerful, powerful word you can have. All right. So we're, in, um, we're on, number, on B. Raise others around you. Matthew 5.41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Something, something amazing about that. Raise others around you. Those who really are successful in whatever they do typically have someone else that they've helped, they've benefited, they've picked up, or they have around them. Number C, the help the company excel. That's the real reason you go to work. Wisdom, in Proverbs 8 and 11 and 12, is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not be compared to it. Wisdom dwells with prudence. Wisdom finds out knowledge of witty inventions. I love that verse. Witty inventions. Wow, wisdom comes with witty inventions. Hmm, I like to think about that. I like to ruminate on that. I like to let it go around in my mind. God is so powerful. God is able to be asked for, prayed for, and then directed witty inventions. There are people throughout history that have tried to find the answer for something or how it should work or what, what correct process to do it, and God's given them direction. The, the guy who... Um, struggled with as a chemist to try to find out how to keep this substance from going bad, prayed, and went on a fast, and God gave him direction. That became a cold cream for women across the world because he prayed and God gave him the witty invention, an idea, how, could, how I can do this. God is powerful. He's able to do that if you're able to pray and believe him. Here's five reasons I will not be shaken. This is in Psalm 16 and 8, Okay. You ready for this? Number one, God is in control. It's so easy to say. It's hard to be in those situations where I need to be reminded of that. You ever been in those situations where you need to be reminded? You need someone to remind you that God's in control? I don't want to be there, but if you're there, you have to realize God is my source. Not, I, I am thankful for the job I have. I'm thankful for the business I own. I'm so glad for all those things. But I have to remind myself, they are not my source. God is my source. I, and sometimes, you know, all of us go through some seasons. And those of us who are in a seasonal business have times that's, whoa, man, it's low right now. Hopefully it'll pick up again here soon. I've had those times. I have to remind myself, God is my source. Not people, not businesses, not plants, not companies, not situations. I love, them. I, I love God and I want to serve people in a way that's pleasing to him. 
but God is my source. And that matters. If you, if you believe that, you've got to pray and say, God, you are my shepherd. Lead me. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And, and I don't like ever to have rejection like all of you don't like it. I don't like to have, um, get my hand slapped. I don't like to be fired. I don't like any of that to happen. It's horrible. But there are some times in my life when I look back on those situations and say, thank God I was fired. That really got my attention. Or I left that job that I would never leave. Thank God I got my hand slapped. That hurt. And I'm embarrassed that I missed it. I messed that up. I didn't do it right. But you know what? That changes how I am today. If I went and took all those away from me right now and could wipe out in the past all the times I was, you know, got in trouble or rebuked or got some client upset with me or some person mad at me, if I took them all away, I wouldn't be me. Right? I would have lost all the wisdom that I only can learn in those situations. I wish I could learn wisdom without pain. Lord, sign me up for the no pain wisdom course. I want to be part of that. I want that one. I don't want to go through trouble to learn stuff, but I often do go through trouble to learn stuff. I told my children, I said, you think your mom, the way she makes lists all the time for everything and how we're going on a trip, there's this huge list. You think she was like it when we first got married? No. It's because of the stuff we forgot and didn't do right and made mistakes. That's who made her the person that makes lists today. She got that because... Now, we're now thankful she made list. If we leave the house for any big event and she doesn't say, I think I forgot something. If she doesn't say that, boy, I feel really bad. If she says it, like, okay, good. That's, well, that's typical. She's going to say that no matter what we do. You're gone for two days or two, two weeks, she's going to say, man, I think I forgot something. I say, honey, you've got extensive list. You probably didn't forget anything. But those things make you who you are, Right? So when you have to think to yourself, God is in control, it's usually, you have to be reminded of that because it's a bad time. It's the thing that's happening that way you didn't want it to be, didn't plan it to happen that way. God will provide for my needs no matter what. That's difficult to hang on to when you've got bills and you don't have any money. When you've got demands and you can't fulfill them. But you have to hang on to it. You've got to say, God will provide for my needs. Now, there's some things God does let die in our life, and we've got to let it go and say, Lord, into your hands. I, I put this in your hands. And he may have intended for us to be without that for a while. There may be something he wants to trust, us to trust him with. And I'm not saying that lightly. I'm, I, know, I know that. I know in life, I know what it means to lose a car. I know what it is. I know what it is to have, have a few wrecks and get in trouble with the insurance company. I know what that is. But I tell you what, that got my attention. Hopefully. Yeah, I think most of the time, I can say honestly, probably too much phone in my car. But, you know, I tell my wife to put it away while I'm driving, so it doesn't bother me. But that's another joke, sorry. I'm on the phone, not her, sorry. But, but God will provide. It's something I have to believe. I have to pray it. And I have to have my... Because what are my options? To be angry? To be fearful? to be motivated by fear. If I'm fearful enough, I can destroy my own house. I can destroy my own job. Fear can turn me what could happen, what's going to happen. Into, I can't receive direction from the Lord while I'm in fear. I will succeed when I obey God. 
I will succeed when I obey God. That, that word is not what you might think it is. Be careful. His succeed is definitely not Hollywood succeed. His succeed is definitely not Washington, D.C. succeed. His succeed is different. It doesn't mean that he doesn't provide finances. Some of the richest people in the Bible were God's people. Look at Moses. Look at, look at his men. Look at, look at the men of God that were blessed with cattle. Look at Jacob. But that doesn't mean it's what you want it to be. His six version of success is different than the rules we're playing with on, as human beings. No doubt about it. Amen. I am not living for me. Wow, that's a very hard one. I am not living for me is very difficult, but that gets to the root of the question. Who do you belong to? Well, I belong to the Lord. Therefore, it's not, it's not always my call. It's his call. Who am I, what am I doing at this job? I'm not living for me. I'm serving others. You can't be like the people that go to the job interview and they say, here's all the stuff we offer. And we offer a two-week vacation. And they, and they say, awesome. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll see you in two weeks. Just let the money just keep on going. They don't give you the two-week vacation before you start. That's not your start. I'll see you. I'm on vacation. Because you're not living for you. You're living for him. And you're living to serve people. Amen. And my identity is not rooted in my job. That's a hard one. That's really tough. I've had a lot of people come to my house through the years. Jen and I have had a lot of small groups and fellowships and met a lot of people. The guys always, and sometimes the ladies, but the ladies have a different response. Asking their name, what do you do? Who are you? The guys always start with what they do for a living. The women sometimes do. Sometimes they say, well, I'm a mother or I... You know, I, I help out here and there. I do this or that or um, there's a company we're with. Or They may not even say that at all. They may just talk about who they are as a person. And, but guys, most of the time, it's guys, struggle with separating this is what I do for a living and this is who I am. It's, it's hard because maybe it's just the way we're wired or whatever. And I'm not saying women aren't, but I just find predominantly men Start with, this is who I am. I'm a truck driver. I own a business. I'm a realtor. I serve sandwiches, Chick-fil-A. I do whatever I do. I'm trying to think of people in the room. I drive a truck. I, I'm a policeman. I work on buildings. I Whatever. That, that's who they are. And to lose it is to lose them. That's why there are men that are deep depression and even kill themselves because they've lost their job. We've got to realize, who am I? First, I am a child of God. I belong to him. He loves me. I'm his kid. He's my shepherd. I'm his sheep. He is the manager of my life. Like David, I could say, look at who my shepherd is. He's guiding me, directing me. I am working here. I am serving there. I'm doing these things under his direction. But ultimately, I belong to him. Amen. My dad still struggles with that. What is the man's name? I don't know. Everywhere he goes, it's Pastor Harple. He didn't have a church. He doesn't pastor right now. He's not been pastor for many years, but he's only you're on a cruise ship. This is this is Jeff, this is Tammy, and Pastor Harple. That's that it's hard to separate. It's hard to take that out 
and say, who are you? It's hard to do that. It's hard to be William or Bill. I, mean, I haven't heard anybody call him Bill in decades, but that's who he is. And who am I? I've got to get to that and say, Lord, I, am, I belong to you. And if this all goes away, which I, I'm not asking you to do that. Let's make sure we're clear. I, I, like, I like having a business. I like having money. I'm thankful for it, Lord. But if this all goes away, help me to find, help me not be left with, like, empty hands. Let me, Jennifer and I have talked over and over again, now that everyone's out of the house, except Bentley, the dog. Besides that, we've, we've got to have a relationship. When the kids are gone, there ought to be something still there. But I know countless couples who, when the kids are all gone, they're left saying, who are you? I, I don't even know who we are anymore. Don't let that be between you and God. If you lose your job, or you lose a friend, or if you have a relationship fall apart, do you have a relationship with him? Is there something rock solid you can say, I belong to the king of kings, I'm his, that's what matters most. Amen. I'm going to tell you one little thing. Uh, Matthew 25 is a, has a parable in it about talents, and I believe that's a parable about understanding work. A talent, we've, in our vernacular, in English language, we've made that into ability. That is not what the Bible says. A talent is not an ability in the Bible. A talent is a unit of money. It's a weight, not a coin. It's a weight, not a coin. So a talent of copper is not worth the same amount as a talent of gold. It's a weight. And it's hard for us to get exactly what it is. But the best we can figure out is a talent of silver is about 100 pounds. A talent of gold, about 200 pounds. It's a unit of money. We know that it's not an ability because in the same story, the master... The businessman, we'll use that example for our, our lesson tonight, gave these resources to these servants according to their ability, not according to their talent. Ability is different than talent. I know we use it interchangeably in the, in our, in, in the church and whatever, and that's fine, but I just want to let you know what the Bible is talking about. Each person, even the one person with one talent, was given a large amount of money. So don't ever say again, oh, God knows, I only have one talent. I'm telling you right now, if I give you 100 pounds of silver or 200 pounds of gold, you won't be hanging your head about it. You'll be like, hallelujah. I mean, 100 pounds of silver is $280,000 today. 100, 100 pounds of gold, I need to do 200. 100 pounds of gold is $2.2 million. Nobody here will be unhappy with that gift. You'll all be, sign me up, I'm ready for that. So what did they do with the money that was given to them? <clears throat> what was expected of them? Work. Trading takes time, effort, getting out among the people, finding ways to come to agreement, takes hard work, takes effort, takes diligence. The wicked servant did not work. He did not try. He made excuses and even put blame on the master. He said, you reap where you have not sowed. Which is the same thing as saying, you are in money in the backs of others. You're exploiting people by taking their crops and fruit that you didn't plant. We rarely say that laziness is a sin, but Jesus did. He said, you are wicked and lazy. 
Oh boy, that's scary. So what am I going to do with all of this information? What am I going to do? What does God want me to do? What does God want you to do? What's the thought? I, I have to understand differently about work. You need to stop talking bad about your work and say, God, put me in this spot. That does not mean you're bound to work for that employer or that company or that situation. You, God can lead you to another place. But here's how most people live. Most of us live like this. I am praying, God, for that door to open. See it right there? See the door? That's my prayer. And God says, oh, I, I love that. That's beautiful. But what about the door I put in front of you? Here's a door right here. You've got to open this door first before you can go to that door. I, I, even though I'd love to say it was differently, 30-year-old Scott could not have a business. 25-year-old Scott did not know what was a business. I, I just had, I've had to go through some difficult things to be in business. And one of the things I realized was my job is not to demand from the people to take care of me. My job is to serve the people. I, I don't know why that's revolutionary. There's a man on, in 12 Points, North Terre Haute, very kind guy, made a building all beautiful and got his business going and serving food. And I, I, I was excited that there was somebody in this kind of decrepit area that was doing something. And I met him and I talked to him and he told me, he says, God, I don't understand it. I said, what? He said, look, I've done all this for the community. I'm helping people out. I took this nasty building and made it nice. Why would they come here and eat my food? And I thought, that, that, that's your mentality. Not, what do I need to do to serve them the food they might like to eat? I don't care what you like to serve in some big city. You've got to find out what people here want to eat. If you, if you serve it, what they're serving in Chicago, that doesn't mean they're going to be happy in 12 points. Find out what they want to eat and, and give that food to them. I know this is stupid, dumb, but that's literally the thing we're missing. There, there are people that their whole lives are bound up in oh, just frustration and they're not treating me right and nothing's good in this whole world. And, and the Lord says, get your eyes off of all of the things you want. Get your, get, take your adult-sized Christmas list and put it in your pocket and serve people and they'll press into you. Notes of appreciation. They will. I like those notes of appreciation. I want them. I'll never forget the story of a young man who was asked to watch his mom and dad's store. He was at the counter. He was young. He was 17 years old. He's doing all this stuff. He's doing the little cash register. People coming in. He's saying, what do you want? Okay, you want this? It's over in the corner. That's over there. They sold fishing lures and fishing rods, and they had all kind of camping equipment. They had all this cool stuff there in the store. And three times in that day, someone came to him asking for a certain kind of knife. Do you have that knife here? He said, no, no, we don't, we don't have it here. And then that was that. And then he walked away. And then the next, uh, just an hour or two later, hey, I'm looking for this kind of a knife. Can you, do you have it? No, we don't sell that, no. But the time the third guy came in asking, he was mad. He said, look, look around. What we have on the shelves, what we have. Just, you know, if you want it, get it. But we don't have that. He said, it took him years later in life to realize how foolish that is. If you only will serve the people what they're looking to buy, they want to put money into his hand. And they, he, they, they can't put money into his hand because he refuses to take the steps to serve them. 
Mm. And you know what's funny about this? I know this seems to be all about money and marketplace, but really, this serving attitude is a foundation that allows for beautiful conversations about the Lord. I promise you, tear it down and make it about your demands. To be the most beautiful Christian on the place of the face of the earth. If you're known for all your demands and arguments and frustration and how many things are wrong in the world, those conversations you want, oh God, lead me to someone. And God's saying, I, I, I can lead you to someone. Get a hold of the word of God and start serving people and they'll come asking you. Amen. Please stand with me. I'm saying all these things tonight, not because I, I, I've, I've always known them or I, because I'm good at them. I, I say them because I, I've walked in some difficult times. When I opened my business in 2008, I was scared to death, convinced I could do it. And my brother called me and Jeffrey said, Scott, how are you doing today? I said, I'm driving, I'm driving, driving out here to Bloomfield, someplace in Bloomfield, never heard of. He said, are you doing good? I said, I'm motivated. He said, what's motivating you? I said, fear. Man, I am scared to death. I'm motivated by my family needs to eat. I'm really motivated. Remember those first calls I made? They'd be, they'd be embarrassing. No, be embarrassing. I called this um, lending company, and I said, hey, I said way too much. I said, this is Scott Harpole. Uh, I used to work for Forsyth Appraisals in Indianapolis, and now I've opened my own business, and, you know, I'm working on a lot of stuff, and I've worked for you guys before and other things, and, and I've, you know, I've, I've done a lot of appraisals for you, and I'm hoping that I can do appraisals for you in the future, and, boy, I tell you what, then, of course, that person said, okay, thanks, hold the line, I want to send you to somebody else, you can talk to him. So, and I, I, you know, it took me several years to get, to learn, I could cut a lot of that out. Hey, this is Scott. Got a, I'm a real estate appraiser. Uh, I'd like to do some presents for you. Okay, fine. It's like, why did I work so hard and so nervous? I have to walk around the room for three minutes to get my courage up. And like, my hands were like, just like this, perspiring on my forehead. I just, after a while, you, I guess I just grew. But the, I, I've had many times being frustrated with realtors. And I said something on the phone one time to them. Boy, she was mad at me. To a lender, I learned what are you doing, Scott? What are you here for? Is it about what you want? Are you really helping people? What is it about? I just pray that this message and my life story will get into your heart and God will bless you with it and benefit you. I think the Lord can bless you so much and make you successful in his eyes, in the eyes of the Lord. Make you where, you're, where you are bounding, abounding in blessings and ministry and connections and, and really pleasing him. That's what I want. Let's pray. Almighty God, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for wisdom. Wisdom that's hidden, Lord. We've got to dig down. Wisdom is hidden in a man like a well of water, Solomon said. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Help me, Lord, to learn to draw out wisdom. Help me, Lord Jesus, to receive direction. You have direction in this place for people. They're hunting for what you want them to do and what, what they should do with their life and what they do in the situation. You are the God of wisdom and direction. Help us, Lord, not to demand of you the answer we want, but instead be our arms open wide and say, Lord, whatever you like, lead me and guide me, whatever is pleasing to you, Lord. 
I ask you these things in your precious name. I pray you keep these people. Plead your blood upon us. Hide us, Lord, in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be dismissed. Thank you so much for being here tonight.